Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun podcast for Easter Sunday. We do a daily reading and then a meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Sunday, April the 9th, 2023, the high feast of our church year. And my apologies for not having worked in music yet to this. I was hoping to have music for starting in the Easter season. I'm still trying to figure out how all this uh, technology works to get some music in here. Uh, But anyway, here is our gospel reading according to Matthew. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, approached, rolled back the stone, and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards were shaken with fear of him, And became like dead men. Then the angel said to the women in reply, Do not be afraid. I know that you are seeking Jesus the crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead, and he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Then they went away quickly from the tomb, fearful yet overjoyed, and ran to announce this to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them on their way and greeted them. They approached, embraced his feet, and did him homage. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So once again, happy Easter, everyone. Today, we celebrate the victory of our faith. We have many little victories in our faith, and in fact, a lot of them are pretty big, but this is the biggest one. Jesus is risen from the dead. We especially feel it, hopefully we feel it, right to the core of our being, along with the Blessed Mother, along with Mary Magdalene and St. John, those that were there at the cross. If we have been meditating throughout Lent, And then these past few days, especially if we've made a good confession, because, well, isn't that the fruit of everything Jesus is doing here? To take away our sins so that we can be uh, filled with grace, so that we can go to heaven in the end, but also in this life that we can be filled with the Spirit, that we can be truly living as children of God, that we can be God's hands and feet and eyes and ears in the world bringing the gospel to all around us. Jesus, we celebrate today, rescued us. He rescued us from sin and death. He rescued us so that we then can have the courage, the strength, the wisdom, the knowledge to continue to do what he does, and that is to save. Maybe you and I are experiencing great joy and great um, gratitude for all that God has done for us, but perhaps there's people around us where it hasn't happened yet. And so we, uh, we are empowered through these mysteries. We are given tremendous grace uh, to continue God's work, to bring his grace and his love to the people around us, to continue to rescue others. For myself, I grew up, and I think I mentioned this in a, just a previous podcast, uh, reading comic books and just watching movies. If you were to go through a list of all my favorite movies, whether they be superhero movies, Lord of the Rings, 
um, I think the matrix, you know, the matrix, they had to figure out that they were living in a fake world. They had to figure out that the world they were living in was ruled by people without their best interests in mind. And once they figured it out, then not only could they free themselves, but they went around freeing as many people as possible, get them out of the matrix, get them into the real world. Now the real world wasn't necessarily the prettiest place. It wasn't necessarily all fun and games, but it was real. And there they could experience real life, real love, true joy, and they could build a life. They could work on making it better as they did over time. That's just one movie. It's just one story, but it's the standard story that we love to hear. We love stories about heroes. And the reason for this, whether it's in books, movies, television, what have you, The reason for this is that God made us to be rescued. God made us. When we consider how we were made, it's so important to meditate on this as we celebrate the greatest feast of our church year. God made us for himself, but more specifically, the Father made us for the Son. He made us through the Son. He made us in the Spirit. The power of the Spirit is the power that created us. It's amazing when you consider what a human being is made in God's image and likeness versus everything else, every other creature on earth. We were made uniquely in a very special way for God in God's image with God's faculties, our, our intellect, our will, our emotions, the ability to invent, the the ability to love and be creative in our love, and, and each one of us being so different and unique. Each one of us, as Pope John Paul used to say, unrepeatable. God made us in a very unique, amazing, beautiful way. And as I was saying, the Father made us, Scripture tells us, for the Son. In a way, we are a gift for the Son, yet we are made through the Son which is why it's so appropriate the Son comes to rescue us when we were in our sins. But even before there was sin, the Son was still the bridge. We were made through him and we would be redeemed through him. In other words, even if there was no sin, the Son is still the bridge between us and the Father. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the Father. This is just the way God made it. God made us to be a family. He originally is a family, Father, Son, and Spirit, and he made us to be part of this family. So the son is the mediator to the father. So we got lost in our sins. We separated ourselves from God. So God in his great love, the father sends the son. Jesus agrees to come to earth to save us, to rescue us. Our hearts were made for this. In the Bible, from the beginning to the very end, it talks about heaven and it talks about our relationship with God as a bride-to-bridegroom relationship. Male and female, we, we learn about being male and female, how important these two things are, despite how pe- so many people in the world today want to trivialize this. Male and female were made as an image of the big picture, that God is the bridegroom. Jesus specifically is the bridegroom, and the church is the bride. The people of Israel, described many times in the Old Testament as the bride. The human race is described as the bride. At the end of the the, the Bible, the, the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about everything now being fulfilled and there being total joy 
because the bride and the bridegroom come together. The bride is adorned for the bridegroom. The bride is prepared, and then the groom basically takes the bride home, takes the bride to live with him. So we were made to be wooed. We were made to be captivated. We were made to fall in love with God. God doesn't force his love on us. God is not egotistical. God is all loving, but he doesn't force the love. You know, parental love, you know, being parents, of course, that's a great image as well for the love of God. Jesus tells us to call God our father. And parental love is, uh, we, we know, so many of you out there are parents, you know how intense that love is, how great that love is. But there's something about parental love that's not fully chosen. You know, you don't 100% choose to be a parent. Of course, you take part in it, of course, making children and raising the children. But yes, we accept people, accept children as gifts from God. And children, well, they, you know, they, you can't pick your parents, <laughs> right? You can't pick your children. I mean, of course, there's lots of choices made in these relationships. But the image of bride and groom is an image that is freely chosen. This is how God wants it to be with us. He originally is our father. But, you know, there's stages that we go through in this friendship. Jesus at one point says, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. So there's different levels of relationship stages. And what God wants in the end is for a a re- the relationship between us and him to be freely chosen. Yet he still does so much to captivate our hearts. He And so, yes, the ultimate act of love is what Jesus says, to lay down your life for your friends. Jesus laid down his life on Good Friday. We hopefully were with him through his passion that began Holy Thursday, his agony in the garden, his arrest, of course, coming after the Last Supper, and then everything he went through on Good Friday, and then being buried in a tomb. So Jesus did all this to show his love for us, to pay the price for our sins, and now he continues to woo us. He continues to try to win us over and captivate our hearts by showing us, look at what I've done. I've conquered sin and death. I've risen from the tomb. There's so many good things we can say about the resurrection. I already spoke in an earlier podcast a little bit about the Shroud of Turin and how it's like a photographic image on Jesus' burial cloth. A burst of light created the image showing us exactly what Jesus looked like. The fact that the stone wasn't simply just pushed to the side like, you know, I'm going to, I don't know, open the back door when I wake up in the morning or something like that. No, the stone, this big, huge stone that would have taken horses to drag it with lots of noise. It was flung to the other side of the courtyard while the soldiers were asleep. It shows the power of God. And now Jesus has a resurrected body. He's going to walk through walls. He's eventually going to fly at the ascension. He, in his body now, is able to do things that the human race wasn't able to do before. And we believe we're all called to have resurrected bodies in the end. Our bodies have to go through corruption because of our sins. Jesus' body does not. Jesus' body has holes in its hands and in its feet. And yet, and he shows these to the apostles, yet he's able to do all these things. He walks through the wall. He eats with them. It's a resurrected body. So Jesus is showing us victory. He has conquered the enemy definitively, 100%. It's over. I mean, it not, may not be over yet for each of us individually needing to accept this and go with it 
and and you know be saved because we follow Jesus. But his part, he's done his part. Of course, now he pours out his grace to us through the Holy Spirit that we can continue to to follow him and grow closer to him, ultimately be saved by him. But he's done his part. He came in human flesh. He took on our weaknesses. And now he is no longer in a state of being emptied of his divinity, as Paul taught us. I love to talk about, you know, and I love to study it for myself and pray about it, exactly what Jesus is going through in his earthly life. He has lots of weakness that he deals with because he takes on our humanity. He never commits a sin, but he takes on all of our weakness ultimately to the point of death. Yes, he performs miracles, but he's not walking around. I always like to say he's not walking around as Superman. He doesn't just do whatever he wants. The Father inspires him through the power of the Spirit, and there are miracles, but he still lives in our weak humanity, our broken humanity. Well, now that the resurrection is over, there is no more broken humanity for Jesus. Now the human person in the person of Jesus has taken on the fullness of redemption. And now we are are supposed to follow. We're destined to follow. That is, if we choose to follow him, if we truly choose to walk in his footsteps, if we truly choose to receive his grace that he's won for us through the sacraments, through our living a life of charity through our reading of scripture, through our prayer life, etc. So God made us to be rescued. All the things that we love to think about, the movies we love, the scenes that we love. I mean, once again, I'm a big dork when it comes to science fiction and comic books and all this. I think of the scene in Star Wars. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. And she says, you're a little short for a stormtrooper. She says, who? <laughs> As if, am I supposed to know that name? She doesn't know yet. It's her brother. She doesn't know yet. He's Darth Vader's son. But he says, I'm here to rescue you. And then he says the word, Obi-Wan. I'm here with Obi-Wan. I'm here with Ben Kenobi. Oh, okay. Well, she knows that's a hero. Well, okay. Let's go. Let's go see him. So once again, there's so many different stories we can tell about the heart being excited because it's being rescued. How do we know we were made to be rescued other than our faith, other than scripture? I mean, these are the important things. What about things like the 12 steps? I love to talk about the 12 steps. I think everybody in our society needs to do the 12 steps, whether we're talking about AA, whether we're talking whatever. I don't know. There's so many issues that our whole world has right now. We have so many addictions there. I bet you we're going to end up having 12 step groups for cell phones. People addicted to their phone. Uh, I don't know. People addicted to their pets. I don't know. That's maybe that was that'd be too controversial to talk about in a sermon. But we know all the standard ones that are out there: Gamblers Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Sexaholics. Um, what else? There's so many different things out there that people are addicted to. And so, what happens? People when they finally acknowledge that they have a problem, step one, most of our society refuses to acknowledge it has issues. And now, little by little, there's drugs that used to be illegal that are becoming legalized more and more, and we see effects as these are being legalized, people losing their memory all over the place. Hmm, I wonder why that is. (laughs) I guess because it's legal, it's not supposed to cause brain damage anymore. Is that how that works? certain things, but yes, 
we have all kinds of things that people are into. I'll tell you, there, there should be a 12-step group for, for sportsaholics. Uh, sports is great. And so many God, things that God made for us are great. But we get addicted. We, we, we latch on. We, uh, we don't have God. So what do we do? So many people in our society, we latch on to other things that we enjoy, and that becomes the God of our, our choosing, right? So then people are stuck in the addictive behavior. They can't break free. They can't, you know, alcohol, of course, is the most popular one to talk about. And people try all kinds of things. They say you have to hit rock bottom first. So sometimes it's not until a man's family leaves him. It's not until a woman's husband leaves her or children or et cetera. You know, when people leave us, when we lose our jobs, then we say, oh, you know what? Maybe I have an addiction as a country. I mean, here's another one. Spending. Spending is a huge addiction. And it's not just individuals, all of us with our credit card debt, but our country. What are we, $30 trillion in debt right now? That's an addiction. The country itself needs the 12 steps. So what happens? People try to get better. They try to fix things. They try to use willpower. It doesn't happen. They maybe go to the doctor and get pills. Well, there's a little help there, maybe sometimes. They go to therapy. Okay, you know, that can help. They, they divert their addiction to another addiction. They stop drinking and then they gain 300 pounds from eating. Food, what's, you know, Overeaters Anonymous. That's another one. Uh, so there's so many things that people do to get rid of the addiction over time. What they realize is that nothing worked, nothing satisfied the hole in the human heart. What's the message here? It's the message I've been saying all along in this sermon. We need to be rescued. We were made to be rescued. We like it when we get rescued sometimes by one another. Like I say, there's these great stories, even the true life stories. A lot of times we love watching war movies and, and just the history of different things the human race has been through to see one person or one group of people, one country rescuing another. In the history of the United States, we can see a lot of stories like that. Sometimes we focus on the negative a little too much. America has made mistakes, but we've also done a lot of great things in helping oppressed people. So what happens in the 12 steps? Eventually, nothing works. Eventually, everything is tried. And then finally, the person will move to step two. And that is admit there is someone out there that can help me, a higher power. That's faith. And then there's step three, which is hope. Placing my hands into, placing my life into the hands of that higher power. And what happens when the person does step three? That's always when the drinking stops, the drugs stop, the porn stops, the spending stops, the overeating stops, the gambling stops. Why? Because the heart is being rescued. All along, it desired rescue. It sought the rescue in worldly things. It was never satisfied because those things cannot rescue our hearts. Is it true uh, we were made for loving relationships with each other, and this is a huge part of life, and this is very helpful, and this is the way God made it to be, and this is why we have the church, you know, all these people to love us and help us. Yes, as long as it's rightly ordered, as long as we see God as the source of that. And I, I have, I, I take Theology of the Body classes, Christopher West uh, and the Theology of the Body Institute, 
And he loves to talk. Well, I mean, there there's great instructors there. Christopher is the main one. But he's talked to us a lot in his classes about his relationship with his wife. And I don't want to be saying too much about that. I mean, that's his story to tell. But one of the things he has said numerous times in the classes that I've taken with him was he said, my marriage got great. My marriage became better than ever when my wife and I realized that we are never going to satisfy each other, that only God can satisfy our hearts. And when we oriented ourselves that way, I mean, I'm paraphrasing what he would say, but when we placed our individual lives and our marriage in the hands of Almighty God, then the marriage got great, better than ever, because then it was all about God's love. Then the Lord gave the grace. The Lord gave whatever it was that that they needed to have a good marriage. And this is how it is everywhere. Saint Francis de Sales, one of my favorite saints, talks about the devout life. We're all called to it, and we're all called to it in different ways. Everybody's got a unique, different vocation. And he says, you know, when you pray and when you live the devout life, when you live a life close to God, it enhances everything, no matter what it is that you're doing, unless maybe I guess you're a criminal. Um, it enhances your life. People will often think, oh, you pray too much. You're taken away from your family. You're taken away from your work. What are you doing? You go into church. You could spend that time doing this, doing that. Every, he He's funny because he says, well, you know, people go to parties, they drink, they do all this. Everybody thinks it's perfectly normal. You spend too much time in church and everybody's ready to uh, take your temperature and send you to the doctor because there must be something wrong. But what he says is if you're a mother and you live the devout life, your kids will be that much more happy. If you're a doctor, your patients will be that much better off. If you're married, your spouse, you will, you will be so much a better spouse because you live the devout life, because you pray. And what is prayer about? It's not about, oh, look at me, I'm accomplishing this thing, which once again, people in the church think it's all about them doing things. And, oh, look at me, look at my status because I do this thing in the church. It's not about status. It's not about what we do. It's about placing our lives in God's hands and then he rescues us. He saves us. It's all about him. He directs us. He guides us. He gives us the things that we need. So this is what happens at Easter. The Lord shows I've conquered it all. I carried your sins on my back. As St. Francis of Assisi says, our sins would have plunged us into hell, but Jesus is able to carry them. We, they were too heavy for us. He carries them and then he's able to rescue us from them. He's able to let them go in death. He's able to nail them to the cross And now we can be free. And as we continue to sin, not that we want to, we strive to avoid sin, but still we're human. We're still in this world. We can continue to unload our sins on Jesus. We can continue to confess them. We can continue to receive. And so that is my message to sum up everything at the end of this Easter Sunday sermon. That is to receive. Jesus came to give. Jesus came to love. He has so much for us. It's not about us. It's not about me saying, oh, now I go to church. Look at how good I am. Look at me. It's about him. He died. He rose. And now we can receive endless amounts of grace for our lives if we allow ourselves to be fed. 
if we allow ourselves to be filled, if we allow him to speak to us in scripture, in our prayers, in the mass, in our brothers and sisters of faith, Jesus wants to fill us. So on this Easter Sunday, we are allowed to say it again, Alleluia, he is risen. Alleluia, we have a savior. He has conquered, he is victorious, and he his victory is our victory too. Following him, striving to do his will, striving to receive his grace, opening up our hearts to him, we can say, Alleluia, we have also been victorious with Jesus. Have a great day. God bless you. Happy Easter.